0: Okay, welcome everyone to the AI Minds podcast. This is a podcast where we explore the companies of tomorrow, built AI first. I'm your host, Dimitri Os, and in this episode, like all of the other episodes, it is brought to you by Deepgram, the number one speech-to-text and text-to-speech API on the internet, trusted by the world's top enterprises, conversational AI leaders, and startups like Spotify, Twilio, NASA, and Citibank. We are here with Nisha today, the CTO of Konote. Nisha, how are you doing?
1: Doing well. How are you?
0: I am great, and I'm excited to talk to you about what you've been building and how you've been getting into creating a product that is AI-first and forward-thinking and what that has enabled in your journey. But before we get into any of that, I would love to learn a little bit more about you and what got you into tech.
1: Yeah, that's a great story that I can tell. Um, Yeah, I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, I, uh, yeah, so I'm CTO and co-founder of CoNote. My journey into tech is definitely not a linear one. So I'm always an advocate to, you know, tell everyone go for what you want to, um, you know, change careers if you need to. I did. Um, and I I just, you know, I loved what brought me to tech was my love for numbers and math. Uh, my undergrad was communications, And I was actually working at uh, Booz Allen, large consulting firm as uh, in this more communications, project management type role. Um, I was working on a uh, large project that was um, based on a couple government websites. And so I worked closely with dev teams. Uh, and I just started paying attention to what they were doing and was really intrigued more on about like the development cycle and, you know, just that writing code was fun. And this is uh, back in the early 2010, So like 2010, 2012. And I took a real passion to understanding more about analytics, Google analytics. Like, why aren't we understanding where people drop off our website? That kind of thing. Uh, and at the same time, data science was kind of blowing up. Um, I think back then it was like big data, right? Like there's always been some kind of buzzword around ML data science. I think now it's AI. Um, but um, that I, I, I was like really excited about uh, diving deeper into a more analytical type of role. And because my background and, you know, my, my education had been so qualitative and more on the like arts and humanities side, I, at that time, thought, like, this is a good opportunity for me to go back and do my master's. And there was a new a program, a data science program had just started. Uh, so I went and did my master's at GW. And that was, you know, I would say, like, my segue into tech was actually just, you know, like, getting to really work with those people um, while I was not in the development type role. Uh, but but I jumped in, you know, headfirst with... Um, with the masters and it was crazy. Like I hadn't done a, I, I had not done a, uh, mathematical or computer science based master, like undergrad degree. So I was going back and having these like very like hard, high level, um, computational optimization, like stochastic foundations, um, just, you know, thrown into the fire and, um, I loved it. It was hard. It challenged me. And I felt like there was a lot of ways to uh, apply data science to real world problems. And so that, like, I felt like I found my passion. Like, it really interested me. It felt like a new industry. I mean, it is a new industry and continuously is growing as we've seen over the last decade. And I just felt like there was a lot of places where people had a lot of data and weren't really doing anything with it, including, you know, the, the, um, the job I was at at that time. And so, yeah, I just started you know like what really i think made me have a strong journey and career path into tech and i can go into that in a second is was the fact that i was not only just thinking about like what do i do once i get the data i was really trying to think like what are the business problems and then how do i take those and translate them to problems that i can address like if if i ask for certain data would i be able to address that problem using you know some type of descriptive prescriptive or predictive model um, so I'll stop there. But that's kind of, you know, how I came into tech.
0: Okay. I love that you almost had like two lives that you lived. You had your life in the industry. And then you said, you know what, I think that I can provide more value in the technical sphere. And I like that more. You dove into that. You went got your master's. You came out and you recognized, I imagine from your previous life, the value of understanding the business needs around data before jumping into just hey let's do fun stuff with data
1: exactly and i think that is as i've grown in my career and and moved into more leadership positions what i see is lacking in a lot of data scientists and just like in technical teams right like i like they really just like get excited about the problem they can solve but not necessarily getting all the business context which then ends up with a really cool solution for a not so, like, such a big problem. And then it's, like, not really bought into because the problem is, like, okay, like, we didn't need this complex solution. We could have just built, like, some rules in Excel and it would have worked. Um, yeah. And so just, like, also understanding when when there is, it, like, everything, I, I truly believe most problems can be solved using data science and predictive modeling. Does everything need that? No. Like, when do you jump in and use these more complex techniques, and when do you say, like, let's do this in a more simpler way, and then, like, let's save the more complex things for what actually needs to be, you know, run through a model or use uh, speech-to-text transcription, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that trade-off is huge because you could probably get quite far with something that is more simple, and it is really, like, taking a long, hard look at when you need to spend that extra time to get that extra five to ten percent that you're talking yep. about, so then you did that, but I really appreciate the product that you're building now with Kono. and somehow you got into the product space. And can you give us a bit of background on what the inspiration was there?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I love building product. um and that has come about, you know, once again, as my journey continued. So, I'll just like real quick go back to like what happened after I um, got my master's. I, you know, I quickly moved over to a data science heavy position. I was a data scientist at that same company, moved over to another corporation um, discovery. And I was uh, doing a lot of like, quote unquote, data science, but it was mostly like metrics, building dashboards. And I got frustrated. I was like, this isn't really data science. This is like, I mean, it's like, pr- pr- like uh, descriptive analytics, but not like I'm not getting to do the cool stuff. Anyways, um, that led me to the startup I was at before Conote, uh, which was EdTech Startup. And that EdTech Startup built data science trainings for corporations using their data. So it was a customized type of training, but it was like mostly, this is like 2016. This was to get people to really grasp like what you could do with data science, not just like, and so it spoke loudly to me. So I was like, yes, I want to do that. Um, So I was there for five years. I was the second hire. Um, And I grew my so I ended up leading the tech side of the company um, and built the entire tech team. So there was me and one other data scientist ended up when I by the time I left, I had 50 people under me, engineering team, data science team and designers. Um, And I while I was there, I proposed flipping the business model on its head. It was more like a services type of company. I said we should be building product. Um, and how did I get into product I just started you know like I love to read articles and to understand what's going on and like business models and how can you be most profitable and like what you know like what are what was SaaS like I really I, I actually work my full-time jobs at Atlassian right now as a head of analytic services uh, you know start a founder of life so uh, that was one of the products I really liked and I under, like I learned about their story and how they kind of like built the initial SaaS model um, And so like as someone that was like very invested in this other startup, I was like, hey, we should be built like we could flip this on its head and use AI to automatically create trainings that are tailored to big clients. Um, And that's and my, you know, my boss and at that time, also the founder was like, yes, let's do it. And so I took started my journey into product development. And what's the best like the best way to learn is just to go headfirst into something where you don't have a lot of resources because you have to wear every hat, right? So as I was um, we were building product I worked with my current co-founder he was on he was um, on my team and he was a UX designer him and I ended up having to do a lot of the qualitative research um and and like the user research we were just yep. like had to wear a bunch of hats and when we we would do these like great interviews probably like five hours five hours like one hour each and then we'd be like oh no we have like all this data we can transcribe it but we don't like we don't have the time to sit there and and really like find the themes and find the good pieces. So what would happen is we'd just be like, oh, let's just take like what we remember. And internally we're like, this is so bad. Like we could be building such a better product if we actually understood the feedback, but that either costs at this time, like days or weeks of our time, or we have to hire someone that's also you know uh, cost ads. So uh, that's how I got into building product was just like, I have like a very entrepreneurial nature and so and innovate, like I like to think of like, like when I said that I think any problem can be solved with data science. I think that when I think about like business problems, I'm also like my mind's always spinning of like, oh, what could what could I build to do this? What could I build to do this? And when this happened, I I talked to Cam who was my co-founder. and I was like, there we could do this. Like I have the background. You're a designer. My, my other co-founder, James, has taken products to market. I was like, let's go. Let's do it. And so that's kind of how CoNote started. And that's also like was my journey into product.
0: Okay. So you mapped out a bit about what Conote is, but you're kind of leaving us hanging. Can you break down what exactly the tool is and what it does?
1: Yeah. So we so Conote is um, insights to action. We are hyper-focused on the research cycles that uh, you know, currently our beta is focused on user research. Uh, we know that this could be applied to multiple industries, you know, and in, in various ways. And we do have other people using it um, even now, such as academia um, and marketing use cases. Uh, but the initial, you know, the prime use case is focused on uh, being able to speed up your research cycles. So really making research part of that DevOps process. You know, right now we have CI/CD, continuous integration, continuous development. But there's a missing piece, which is top of the funnel, which is continuous research. And Conote allows that to happen. So what Conote does is it allows you to upload your transcripts, um, audio or video files. This is where DeepGram comes in. Um, they're immediately transcribed. And then we synthesize them using our AI engine. And our AI engine consists of multiple algorithms. It's not just one simple call to an LLM, although we do use LLMs. And um, with that synthes- after that synthesis, the user will get... Uh, themes across the hours of interviews. So let's say I did 20 hours of interviews. I will not only get summaries of each of those interviews. I get the themes across all those interviews, which is like the hard thing that we found to capture. We You also then get action items. So you would you would get a list of action items that tell you what to do, how to take action on those insights you just received. And then you're able to create reports within the platform, which we also have realized is a pain point. So you're able to take the video clips, um, the pieces of t- like specific text within whatever 20 hours of transcripts, and create create multiple pieces of those into a report that you can then send out to stakeholders. So it's a you know it takes a process that usually takes days, weeks, as I said before, um, and turns it into minutes to a couple hours. Um, so it really allows you to be, to really be agile with your research process as well.
0: Break down this idea of the continuous research for me a little bit more, because I like where you're going with that. I'm not sure that I fully understand it or grasp it yet though.
1: So I came, you know, there's research ops. That's a thing. Uh, continuous research is kind of like my thing coined it. Um, uh, but I think that, where I what I've seen like working at large corporations and and at a startup um, that's not CoNote is that researchers are siloed from developers, right? Like there is a user research team quite often or product manager that's helping out with user research if it's a smaller company. However, because of the lengthy, like tedious nature of user research and the amount of time it takes to distill insights and actually get something that's actionable. Uh, it the cycle, like a research cycle might be six to eight weeks and dev cycles are two weeks. So by the time you get feedback on something that might've happened like last month and you've already built a new feature for it, you're like three features in. You're like, wait a second, this feedback is actually telling me I shouldn't have built the feature I released in like two sprints ago. Um, and instead if I like, let's say I am a product manager working with a dev team and I do like five hours of interviews, I schedule them like two days in a row, right? And so now I have these like five hours of qualitative interviews. And instead of saying, okay, user, okay, team, like now let's go like translate these into insights. And now dev team, we figure out like the features based on our own, like drinking our own Kool-Aid. I would say, I'm going to put this into CoNote, build a quick report, take it to my sprint planning meeting, and be able to work with my director of engineering to Uh, figure out like which features make most sense with the instant user research we just received about the latest information
0: so it feels like you've been able to take all of these needs that you had in your past lives and all of these times where you said oh man you know what i need right now is something that i could see what people are gathering what kind of data people are gathering out there and I could implement it with what my roadmap looks like and you just decided to go out and build that and now Kono takes those insights and is able to actively add them to the roadmaps add them to the engineering meetings in a way that engineers I presume can digest in an easier manner They are able to work with the product team in a more succinct manner, and the insights are also surfaced faster.
1: Yes, like that is exactly what it is, I think, like, because I think, like you said, from both your backgrounds, and I think it's because I've had the pain points of being on the dev side and then also on the, you know, more leadership product dev type role and, Um, I think that from both those, both those views, it really helped like meld together the critical problem, which is that communication, like that loop between the research teams and the business and the dev teams. And I like, honestly, like there are like engineers, like when I worked on, when I worked at that tech startup, like engineers wanted to understand the user problem they don't want to be so siloed but because of timelines and because of like constraints and because we have to move fast and get something out they get forced to just like you know kind of like make stuff up like i was just at a summit with my two co-founders this last couple of days and we're sitting in a room thinking of like really great things i had to stop multiple times and be like you guys we're doing it like we're sitting in a room making shit up when like we really need to be drinking you know like like Kono at Kono, we do our we we listen to what we're preaching. Like we practice what we preach. We do multiple rounds of user interviews multiple times and we synthesize it using Kono So like that's another cool thing. Um but but it's so easy to get in that like zone of like, oh yeah, no, I know what the users want. Um and you don't get that empathy, right? And I wanna be able to like give that customer empathy to everyone, not just to a certain group that within that um, entire ecosystem of building out a product.
0: So there is another piece that I wanted to touch on real fast around how when you built Conote, what I really like about it is that you said there is a pain here and let's try and solve for this pain. But AI is only a piece of that. It's not like, hey, AI does all this cool stuff. Let's see if we can shoehorn it into some kind of a product. Yeah. It was, obvious that you said, you know what, I've had this pain, I've seen teams that I've worked with have this pain, and now I'm going to try and build a product. And it just so happens that that product is leveraging the leaps and bounds that we've had over the past year with AI. It's not that, oh, ChatGPT does summarization, maybe I should create a product with that, right? So how how do you think about that type of thing as you're building product and not fall into the trap of, oh, well, well, AI can do this now. Let's create a feature like that.
1: I mean, that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked it because I want to start with Kono was born before ChatGPT came out. So Kono, we started talking about Kono in September 2022. Um, and ChatGPT blew up the world in December, November, right? End of November. His name. Um, and I think that like that, I just say that because 100% I agree. Like maybe you aren't saying a, a like explicit statement, but like I do not believe you find the solution and then you find the problem. You need to, like, to build a great product, I think, like, you need to personally or know some know multiple people that are experiencing a huge pain point. And that's what, you know, like, the tech of it, the how, the how was AI, but the what was the pain point. And that's what led me to want to build Kono. was, like, I experienced it. My two co-founders had experienced it in different ways. We did a bunch of user research ourselves and talked to talk to actual user researchers, product managers, um, academic uh, people that also really like using CoNote. Um, And we got the same response, which is, yes, this process is so painful. And, you know, like I also, you know, always like to say AI is a component of what we do. It's not, it is not, CoNote is not AI. CoNote Uh is a insights engine that allows you go from insight to action in minutes. AI is a component that allows us to let users experience that. Um, and I think that's how I differentiate that is like, yeah, because like otherwise you're caught in this, like, I mean, we see so many startups, right? Like I see like the kind of competitors, the like closest competitors to Note do something similar where they're like just building all these templates that are obviously just prompts. Like they're using, they're like, hey, I could do this. Hey, I could do this. AI hey, could do this. And it's cool at first, but like it's going to lose. I mean, like anyone can write a prompt, right? Like that is not how you want to build something. And you highlight, like, one sentence um, on one of our competitors' platforms, and it'll give you four paragraphs in response. That's not, like, that is not accurate. That's like, very obvious. So I think it's just, like, not fall, like, yes, like, being very careful not falling into the trap and also just, like, with my, like, staunch data science, like, mathematical background being, like, I'm not, like, AI, I mean, deep learning is AI, right? Like, there is, like, so many, like, this has become a thing because of open AI and how great! Like they've been able to market it to the like people that didn't trust AI before. So it's it's beneficial to us because now people do trust AI products. Um, but I think that like like our our goal is to to allow like intuitive usage, um, delight users, bring get users like from their outcome in a matter of minutes, and allow them to get to the point they need to go, the next point they need to go to make impact. Um, it's not to like. Add really cool AI features.
0: Well, Nisha, I am fascinated by the product that you are creating. I'm so excited to be able to follow along on the journey. And I love the fact that you're part of the DeepGram startup program and we can help you out along your way. This has been an incredible talk. I thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story with us. And with that, I think we will come to a close
1: awesome thank you demetrius great having great being had on the show